So let's say that you're a small hairdresser in a small town who wants to grow her business digitally, right? You use social networks, but in reality, you don't really know too much about digital transformation. So I want you to reflect. What are the main questions you have to ask yourself in this situation? Well, I know that the first thing you might be thinking is, how much money do I have available? And it's correct, but obviously it's not just that. Think well. Well, the main questions you will have to ask yourself are, first, what technologies? In other words, what technologies do I need to adopt to digitally transform my business? With whom? That is, do I do everything myself or do I seek outside help? Third, how to measure success? What metrics do I have to monitor that define the success of my transformation? Fourth, how to monetize? That is, how does my current business model change? Or how do I open new fronts and new business models that allow me to generate more value for my client? What processes as well? How do I change or adjust my current processes or launch new ones to make order in this new scenario where I do a lot of new things? And finally, what skills? In other words, what new skills and competences do I need to develop in order to navigate this digital world? And not only mine, but those of my team as well. And these are fundamental questions that we ask ourselves. And the interesting thing is that this applies to hairdressers, but also to industries like media, pharmaceuticals, finance, and so on. That is, the questions are universal, but the answer depends a lot on the market and on the moment it is going through. While for the hairdresser who does not have a digital presence, the answer to some of these questions might be to professionalize their Instagrams through a local advertising agency. But in the case of companies that are already advanced in their digital transformation process, the question is exactly the same, but the only difference is that the answer will involve Web3. And that's what we are going to explore in this episode of Meta Leadership. Here's your host, Andrea Iorio speaking. I'm an Italian keynote speaker to more than 100 companies per year, focusing on digital transformation, leadership, and innovation, and a best-selling author of two books in Portuguese. I'm based out of New York City, and I worked over the last 10 years in Brazil as the head of Tinder and as chief digital officer at L'Oreal. I'm an economist specialized in behavioral science from Bocconi University. I hold a master's degree in international relations from Johns Hopkins, and I currently teach at the executive MBA at Fundação do Cabral, the top executive business school in Latin America, according to the Financial Times ranking. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to get in touch, you can contact me at andreaiorio.com or on LinkedIn, or engage daily with my community of more than 60,000 followers with contents at the intersection of business, technology, behavioral science, and philosophy. So, hit me up. So, when I left Tinder to take over as the digital director of L'Oreal's professional products division uh, some years ago, I confess that I was a little bit lost. I understood digital business, but I lacked the basic framework to be able to start a digital transformation process. In other words, I was already working with a digital native app, Tinder, but I didn't know what would be the first step to undertake in a company that was not digitally native. And that's when I started to study. And between my studies and readings, I came across the book, Thriving Digital Strategy by Harvard professor Sanil Gupta, and it totally changed the way that I thought about digital transformation processes in traditional companies. 
So basically, he presented a framework for transformations that divides digital transformation into four broad categories or blocks. What he calls, first, reimagine your business, scope, ecosystem, and business model. Second, reevaluate value chain, R&D, operations, distribution. Third, reconnect with customers, so journey, engagement, and management. And fourth, reimagining organizations, structure, capabilities, and learning. So I use this framework at L'Oreal. It helped me a lot, as well as many other organizations I've worked with on digital transformation projects. But when I was thinking about what would be the step-by-step to implement a Web3 transformation strategy, which goes beyond digital, I realized that I needed to clarify the pillars. Therefore, I developed a framework that, to me, represents the necessary step-by-step to design an assertive Web3 strategy. And to sum it up, and of course, we'll go into detail in a moment. But first of all, is the diagnosis. Second, is technologies. Third, is KPIs. Fourth, is processes. Fifth, is skills. And after that, you can launch your POC, proof of concept, or product, or test, experiment, and do whatever. So, with diagnosis, first off. I want to ask you, if you were a doctor, would you prescribe the same medicine to all of your patients? Obviously not. You would prescribe different, you know, medicines for each one based on their symptoms. So, do you realize that it doesn't really make sense to start any Web3 strategy without making a diagnostics? So, the first step is diagnosis. And how does it work? Well, you can do everything, right? And so you need to prioritize and to understand what to prioritize. What are we going to do? We are going to take the framework that we worked on in episode three, that is the one about the uh, areas of opportunities of Web3, and fundamentally analyze what are the opportunities that we have available. I know you'll tell me, but Andrea, normally a diagnostic is done at something that has already been done in but since with Web3, 99% of the cases is still not being done much. Well, in this case, guys, I'm considering the phase of diagnostics as basically understanding what are the priorities, right? Prioritization of opportunities among the main ones that we have for our business. For example, for a pharmaceutical company, the most interesting pilot might be doing clinical trials in the metaverse. For a real estate company, it might be to tokenize its properties. For a bank, it might be implementing blockchain uh, and so on. So, it can really depend a lot on case by case. From there, the second step is technologies. That is, what are the Web3 technologies and concepts that we need to use in order to be able to solve these problems and take advantage of opportunities? Do we want to focus on digital trials? Well, let's explore the metaverse further. Shall we tokenize properties? Let's explore blockchain better and so on. And in this aspect, we have to go deeper into each of the main concepts and technologies of Web3 to identify where the opportunity lies. And so basically, to start off, I want to dig deeper into blockchain. And here, the first thing we have to understand is that there are four blockchain formats, public, private, federated, or also called consortium, and hybrid, which reminds me a little bit of the differences in the cloud computing uh, area. And fundamentally, each one has some specific characteristics. First of all, the public blockchain is permissionless. It's an open network with free access, no permission, shared ledger, and full transparency. Bitcoin is definitely one of those where everybody can participate and everybody also validates the data. Then we have a private blockchain. It's permissioned with a closed network, uh, 
it's based on a permission. There is like a shared ledger and there is a full transparency. But again, you need permission. So basically, there is like uh, one uh, uh, gatekeeper, which usually is the company that promotes it. It's usually private blockchains for supply chain and stuff like that. Third one is a federated blockchain. So basically, uh, it's about pre-selected nodes, access to those. Organization is based on group access on permission and basically it is uh, you know basically it is open and permissionless but at the same time there is a central authority that validates the data and then you've got the hybrid blockchain which is a mix between public and private and so which one is better for what well public one is the one typically used for cryptos and document validation the private one is the one normally used for supply chain and verification of ownership of goods. The hybrid can be used a lot for medical records, real estate, and consortium can be used for banking, supply chain, and R&D. And so based on your demand or on your problem, you must decide where you want to be. At the same time, the question is with whom you want to be with. That is, are you going to develop a blockchain by yourself if you're just one company? Obviously not. You need to hire so many uh, you know, tech talent and it's hard. So that's why the concept of blockchain as a service is emerging more and more. Where just like with cloud computing or with AI, you can hire blockchain uh, via the cloud to create the apps faster. Top providers are IBM blockchain, Microsoft Azure blockchain, Amazon managed blockchain, and so on. And so based on the choice of a blockchain, you can also tokenize goods and implement smart contracts models. Now, another technology that we want to dig deep into is the metaverse. Here too, as you seek to be in the metaverse, you will want to better understand the main types of metaverse, and you can distinguish them into four categories based on whether they use blockchain or not, and whether they are centralized or decentralized. So basically, let's look at the uh, you know traditional ones that are centralized that do not use blockchain. Minecraft, Grand Theft Auto, Roblox is kind of decentralized, but it's not on the blockchain. Uh, you got Fortnite and so on. Then you've got the blockchain-based ones that are centralized, though, because there's a big intermediary. Meta with the rise in words is definitely a great example. And then you've got a blockchain-based and decentralized. You've got the sandbox, you've got Axie, and of course, Decentraland. This makes us understand where we can potentially be and buy land or have a presence, but at the same time, we have to understand what are the technologies that allow us to migrate all of our contents as 2D companies, videos, photos, and texts to 3D. And here, the main platform we should consider is NVIDIA's Omniverse. And NVIDIA's Omniverse is a great tool just to basically create these you know, complete simulations. It's collaborative, uh, it profoundly transforms complex design workflows, and it really helps to create digital twins, which are key to the industrial metaverse. As far as the gaming and socializing metaverse is concerned, perhaps one of the most important companies is Ready Player Me, company from Estonia startup that recently raised 56 million with Andresen Horowitz, which basically is uh, working on interoperable avatar skins that you can bring from one metaverse to the other. Well, another technology, of course, that we want to dig deep into is NFTs. Of course, obviously, NFTs are among the most popular tokens recently due to the NFT fever. But let's understand, well, if you're a company that wants to mint an NFT, what is the best step by step? Well, the main platforms where you can mint NFTs are OpenSea, Rarible, and Binance NFT. And the step by step is as follows. 
just choose the digital item you want to transform into an NFT, choose which blockchain you want to use, have crypto in your digital wallet and connect it to the platform, and choose your NFT's marketplace, upload your file and sell it. Now, one of the interesting things with the NFTs is that you to create incentives and rewards for NFT owners, you get to create communities, which we talked about a lot in episode, in, in episode uh, three. They really help in marketing and sales. Now, speaking of communities, we also have to explore DAO, at least as the last concept or technology, and how they can be formed. In general, it's not super simple to create a DAO from scratch because you have to code the smart contracts directly in the blockchain, so you have to know native programming. But there are some projects that allow this to be simpler, such as Aragon. Aragon is the main one. So it's a D-app that allows faster creation of DAOs. And even though it looks it's simpler, it's still complex to deal you know, uh, a little bit. But uh, that's why I recommend looking at the step-by-step on Aragon 1 website because you need an Ethereum node, you need a MetaMask wallet, and so on. Now, let's move on to the third step, which we can call, you know, KPI and metrics. That is, what do we consider to be the success metrics of our Web3 migration? Which data should you monitor? And maybe as the last question, what business model should I use? Because let's go step by step, starting with the choice of KPIs. Think about the case where we create a digital twin of our stores. If we are a retailer and we can metrify everything from the time a consumer spends in front of a new package on the shelf to the speed at which an item falls off the shelf to the suspicious movement of a malicious person who come in, comes in to steal... Do you realize that it's just so much data? So the big challenge here will be to understand what metrics to monitor and see that the same applies to blockchain, which will give us a lot of data and so on. For example, if I create a DAO that manages stablecoin, for example, what are some of the metrics I want to monitor? Well, for example, you will want to monitor unique number of token holders, number of integrations, namely how much it is integrated into wallets, exchanges, and other products, TVL, which is total value locked, and so on. So it's important to measure everything in the world of Web3 and prioritize control metrics. Now, another question that I'm sure it's, you know, it in your head is how do I make money from all this? What are the new business models we need on web for Web3? So here a small retrospective is interesting because each internet wave ended up generating new business models, as in the case of Web1, e-commerce emerged, software licensing models, and so on. In the case of Web2, it is already the case of the sharing economy as Uber and Airbnb, which we can also define as platform models, subscription models, SaaS, marketplaces, and the likes. In the case of Web3, new business models are emerging. So basically, one is to launch a native token, namely an ICO. Uh, Another is the tokenization of physical assets, as in the case of a property, shares, commodities, uh, and so on, that are valued based on the underlying asset with a potential premium for liquidity. Obviously, another business model is direct-to-consumer, or D2C, which is a model that emerged in Web2, but will continue to grow because in Web3, disintermediation is increasing. Another super interesting model is that of communities. So let's assume that you're a gamer. That's probably no way you can financially benefit from your hours of playing. But thanks now to NFTs, you can monetize your efforts. This can be done through the sale of accessories you purchased, earned, or collected in the game's metaverse. And the model is currently using DAOs and can be applied not only to games, but to all kinds of communities. 
the list is, of course, not exhaustive, but it gives, you know, business models, but it gives us the idea that we can monetize in completely different ways than in the past, and that has huge benefits for businesses in the Web3 world. Now, we come to our fourth point, namely processes. And regarding processes, we can divide them into internal and external. And I took this freedom so that we can, on the one hand, understand what are the processes we need internally to accelerate the adoption of Web3 technologies, as well as the processes we need for a go-to market you know, uh, strategy. So that's external, right? Let's go step-by-step, step, starting with the internal processes. And here we learned with digital transformation, that just having an innovation team or a digital area and not having the rest of the organization engaged will not have an impact. Therefore, it is necessary to engage everyone and innovate with short experimentation cycles. And let me explain here. It's critical that people across the organization adapt to the changes of the new technology and the productivity changes that come with it. So in today's business landscape, you figure out how to do something by doing it over and over again. And in the new agile model, companies focus on how they do things and you know, how to do many things at the same time to follow, innovate, and drive changes in the organization. But always changing one variable at a time because otherwise you won't know what impacted what. So internal processes in Web3, for me, is basically like thinking like a scientist, right? Testing and prototyping frequently, measuring the feedback of these experiments and scaling what works from them and leaving aside what doesn't, which even makes us understand that we will make more mistakes. But this is not necessarily a bad thing. By the contrary, Web3 technologies allow us to maximize learning from experiments and minimize the cost of mistakes. How? Well, minimize the cost of mistakes through perfect simulations through digital twins and maximize learning is through the inputs of blockchain and all the data collection. Now, when it comes to external go-to-market processes, we have to understand that the power of tokenization and how it reshaped the funnel and marketing funnel. Because the concept of the customer acquisition funnel is, you know, traditional go-to-market is very familiar to all of you from awareness and lead generation at the top of the funnel to customer conversion and retention at the bottom so the traditional web to go to market, therefore, tackles the cold start problem through this very linear lens of customer acquisition, covering areas such as pricing, marketing, partnerships, sales channels mapping, and sales force optimization. So success metrics include time to close a lead, website click-through rate, and revenue per customer, among others. Now, in Web3, well, Web3 changes the whole approach to starting new networks as tokens offer an alternative to the traditional approach to starting a customer relationship. Instead of spending funds on traditional marketing to attract and acquire potential customers, top developer teams can use tokens to attract early adopters who can be rewarded for their early contributions when network effects are not yet obvious or not have kicked in. Not only are early adopters that bring more people into the network who would like to be similarly rewarded for their contribution, but this essentially makes early adopters on Web3 more powerful than traditional Web2 business development strategies and customers. So to summarize, in Web2, the main stakeholders of uh, any go-to-market would be the customer, usually acquired through sales and marketing efforts. And in Web3, an organization's go-to-market Stakeholders include not only its customers and users, but also its developers, investors, and partners. 
Many, many Web3 companies therefore consider the community building functions more critical than the sales and marketing functions. And you see the difference? It's very, very different. It changes totally from a linear funnel to a community engagement. And just to be more specific, I'll bring about two practical examples of go-to-market in Web3. A first one is airdrops. An airdrop is when a project distributes tokens to users to reward them for certain behaviors that the project wants to encourage, including testing the network or protocol, and they can be distributed to all existing addresses on a given blockchain network or that can be targeted, such as specific key influencers. They're often used to solve the cold start problem, right? To kickstart early adoption, reward, or incentivize early adopters and more. Now, another example is developer grants. Developer grants are grants made from the treasury of a protocol to individuals or teams that are contributing in some way to improving the protocol. This can serve as an effective go-to-market mechanism for DAOs as developers' activities in an integral part of a protocol success. An example of projects and protocols with developer grants include Celo, Chainlink, Compound, Ethereum, and Uniswap. And finally, the fifth point, we have skills, that is, people skill. So how do I develop the right mindset, for example, and the right skills, and how do I have the right people together with me to make the transformation to Web3 happen? Well, for this question, it's just a matter of going to the first episode of this podcast and listen again about that that episode was about the new leadership theory that I'm proposing. But when it comes to the framework to apply Web3 concepts and technologies to your business, I would like you to think about all of this as an assignment for this week and please let me know how that goes. That's it for today. Thanks for making it in until the end. I'd also love to hear what did you think about this episode and see you next week.